I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. It's been a while since I've been on here. I had my second baby in July and have since shifted into the role of managing editor for a developing initiative called Project Red S, which aims to be a resource hub and athlete community addressing the all-too-common issue of relative energy deficiency in sport. But I've also been missing contributing at Faster Skier and hope to continue to regularly produce this podcast over the coming months. To get us restarted, we've got Ben Ogden, who has had a standout season of racing on the World Cup, including cracking into the semifinals in four sprint races and some breakthrough results in distance racing, including a sixth-place finish in the 10K Classic in Oberstdorf during the Tour de Ski. He also finished 13th overall in the Tour, which is a historic result for the American men's team. In this conversation, we discuss the factors that have contributed to his development as a professional skier, from mindset to training to an effort to make the World Cup lifestyle sustainable long-term. We also discuss his recent trip back to the Northeast for his final starts in the EISA Carnival Circuit, representing the University of Vermont, and more. Before we jump in, here's a quick note from our sponsor. Concept2 is the designer and manufacturer of the Skierg, a training tool for Nordic skiing and for general fitness. Located in North Central Vermont, the Concept2 family rows in the summer and skis in the winter. The skier grew out of the time-tested design of the Concept2 rowing machine. As dedicated skiers, we know this much is true. It's not always easy to get out on snow in the winter, or out on roller skis for that matter, in the summer. The skier is a perfect dryland training option for skiers or anyone looking to improve their fitness. The second-generation skier allows for single-stick and double-pulling. Take your skiing and upper body conditioning to a new level with a skier. Cool. Well, welcome back to this podcast, um, and thanks for your time. Can you? Um, where are you guys right now? Uh, we're in Toblock, Italy, prepping for the, the last World Cup of Period Three. Awesome. And I wanted to kind of start with just kind of hot takes on the the venue that you just left. So new World Cup venue, Le Rue, um, seemed like really exciting atmosphere um, and just like challenging courses. And so I'm, I'm curious kind of what your, what your take was on that experience over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love being in France for the, for the World Cup. The uh, <clears throat> obviously, like you said, the, the atmosphere and all the people that came out was, or to, to cheer was really fun. Um, and the sprint course was great. Uh, certainly the courses were like technically demanding and also physically, no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a great time. <clears throat> Can you talk through the sprint day a little bit more? So, um, just, yeah, what you thought of the course and how you approach the day and, uh, maybe kind of getting into just what went down in the semi as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, uh, I came at that sprint, um, a little differently than I have with a lot of sprint, uh, sprint races on the world cup, just because like I sort of flew in on Monday and we were racing on Friday and it was just like, or I guess uh, Saturday, but you know, it was, it wasn't like I, I hadn't skied the course a lot. I never raced there before. So it was just sort of like, you know, did pre-race, did, uh, some like light intervals, uh, in the week leading up to it and then just sort of raced it. Um, and yeah, there was certainly, I mean, there was one corner that was like of note, but I didn't think it was anything too 
it, it's the the whole LaRue weekend sort of like I learned a thing or two about like sketchy things in cross country ski racing that I ha- hadn't really figured out before and and I think that you know the sprint the sprint corner was like a little sketchy but it didn't seem like anything too bad you know and uh you know so it was just sort of a standard sprint in that in that regard and um <clears throat> there were certainly some places where people were, were getting tripped up but it wasn't anything too bad and then yeah I was able to like you said sneak through the uh, quarterfinals which was cool and uh, always a goal of mine but obviously like I really had my eye on trying to get into the final so uh in the semifinals we came up to that corner and I was uh leading and another guy came in tight and we sort of like you know came together and like almost like bounced apart and I ended up going off the course and having to stand up and you know lost some speed and and, and all that and you know I'm in no place to uh <laughs> to it's, it's hard to come back from something like that so you know it was a it was a corner but and then also Jesse of course had issues on that corner as well in the qualifier um and uh sort of going back to what I was saying before there was also a corner in the distance race getting slightly off topic here but and that one was like outright sketchy you know like hard to make it around when you were alone and there was a big like steep hill off the side where if you went off course you were going down into the woods and you know it was getting icy and, and everyone was like thinking about this mass start, like, Oh God, it's going to be so sketchy and there's going to be people in the woods and like broken poles and skis. And then of course, like everybody was thinking that way. So when push came to shove, people just sort of stood up and, and snow plowed or whatever. And you know, I'm sure there was crashes there, but there was nothing substantial in, in neither the men nor the women's distance race. And, uh, it was just sort of interesting little, like realization where hey like if every if people are like actually spooked about a corner it's probably going to be fine <laughs> and if people are sort of like you know the places where people are crashing and, and you know going off course are, are the ones that nobody really thinks are going to be too bad so it was, a, it was a funny weekend in that regard but yeah um I also want to kind of go back through period one and, and just the tour de ski so I think there's you know, a lot of American ski fans who are pretty excited about a lot of the results you've posted early season this year. Um, and a few moments that kind of stand out to me are just the classic spins and bite a stolen, just making a move up that hill, um, breaking a pole at the start and then coming back to almost advance in Davos was super exciting. And um, in Val de Fiam, the the semifinal there, just I think as an American ski fan, when afterwards, um, Klabos talking about you in his post-race interview, um, and just how hot hot that pace was, and that was like the hardest heat for him, is really cool. So um, from your perspective, like what have some of the highlights been of the season, and that could be on, on and off the race course? Yeah, definitely. Um, certainly the weekend in Bidestolen was uh, – was a real highlight for me, uh, in both the, the sprint and the distance race. Uh, but the sprint in general and Lillehammer too, actually, I was able to, to get into the semifinal there and, and it really, you know, those two weekends, it felt like, I felt like I was in, in control and, uh, it didn't feel like it was like a fluke or anything like that. Me advancing through the quarterfinals, which, you know, last year, I had a lot of hard, I had a lot of trouble getting through the quarterfinals, and when I did, it was sort of like under weird circumstances often. So this year, those two races and the in Val de Fam, you know, I felt like I was able to just be a good enough skier to get through. You know, like you look at Claybo, like Claybo doesn't take 
it doesn't take like the right set of circumstances for him to get through the quarterfinals. He gets through the quarterfinals no matter what. So it, it felt really good in Bidestolen to uh, start to start to feel that way. Um, so that was certainly a highlight. And then the distance race there too as well was a, a little bit of a breakthrough for me. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, I mean, some of those other sprints, <laughs> you know, I don't uh, – you never really go out with the planning on doing things like that. Um, but it, it just sort of happens. And I've, I've been pretty happy with how I've been able to sort of like respond and, and try, try different things while also, you know, trying to ski smart and, and stuff like that. And like, obviously I can always be better, but yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, but by stolen was a great weekend. It was really beautiful up there too. And when, when you think about some of those steps that you've taken forward this year, um, what do you see as being kind of like the main contributing factors? Like, is this just a year, another year of training? Is it sort of like more time on the World Cup, figuring out different courses, figuring out tactics? Is it like mindset? Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the factors? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a lot of things, but the two biggest ones in my mind are, uh, like like you say, time on the World Cup, just getting more comfortable uh, being in a, being in the heats and the aggressive level of ski uh, skiing and, and stuff like that. But another big one I think is, is mental. Um, I, I, at the end of last year, I sort of like established uh, a shortcoming and that was co- kind of like, I was, I was satisfied, you know, sprint days are, are so strange and hard because, you know, you race and you're happy, but then you have to go and race again. And, you know, maybe you're happy again, but then you have to go and race again. And then maybe you're disappointed, but then you're like, Oh wait, no, I was happy just a few minutes ago, you know? So it's, it's hard mentally because when you're trying to set goals for sprinting, you know, sometimes you accomplish your goal and, but the day is not over, you know? So that I think is an area that I really worked on over the summer and in the fall with like the sports psychologist and stuff where like for, for me last year, for instance, you know, I was looking at how you qualify for the Olympics and, you know, I'd never really been on the world cup. So my big goals were just like getting in the heat, getting in the top 30, getting in the heats and, you know, gaining experience. And that was great. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, like I, I was finding myself where, Take Lillehammer, for instance. I really, really want just to qualify in a skate sprint. And I qualified. And I actually qualified pretty well. And then when it came time for the heats, like, I had already sort of patted myself on the back. And, and of course, like, if you give yourself just an inch of, spa- of like, you know, satisfaction on the World Cup, like, it turns into a mile of distance on the actual race, you know. So, I, you know, I was way off the back in that. And then, so I was like, okay, well, now, like, I can consistently qualify. Now it's time to you know, start to like believe in myself and start to start to set goals that are past the quarterfinals, past qualifying. Um, and like really like believe that, that I belong. So I think that, that, you know, like I said, I talked with a sports psychologist about that and and how to sort of like not, how to sort of not be satisfied. You know, it's, it's, it's a really hard line to walk because you don't want to, you don't want to be too hard on yourself. You know, you still have to set reasonable, achievable goals, but you don't want to become satisfied in the middle of a race, you know, in the middle of a sprint day, because then it'll come to an end just like that. So I think that's been a big sort of changing that mindset a little bit and, you know, not expecting to get through the quarterfinals, not expecting to get into the heats even, but like planning for it and having some like, uh, 
having some strategies for how to keep myself uh, motivated and keep myself like in search of the next thing in the middle of a sprint day. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And is that like, were you able to kind of identify that in yourself or is that like conversations that you're having on, on the team or with other teammates? Um, like, how did you know that that was something that you needed to take on? Uh, it's definitely a, a combination of things. I mean, we talk about stuff like that all the time with, uh, the other, you know, me and JC and Luke and, and all those guys, we're always talking about like, sort of like where, where our problems lie and how, how we can get better. But that was something that I really noticed in myself. Um, you know, it's hard to say what is going on inside of other people's heads, you know, but that was something I really noticed inside myself because it's so tempting. And I think that a lot of people can relate to it. It's, it's so tempting to like, to be, be satisfied, you know, um, and like, I don't know, sort of say to yourself, okay, well, hey, you know, if this quarterfinal is a disaster, I can still be happy with the day, you know, I can still be happy with where I'm at. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something I identified in myself. Um, but I obviously talk about it with the other guys and, and they sort of agree. Um, so yeah, I could get kind of a combination of the two. You came, ended up coming out of the tortoise ski ranked 13th, which is a historic result for the U S men's team. And that was also your first time racing the full tortoise ski, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of seems like it has its own learning curve that's almost like separate from the World Cup learning curve. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you talk about just how you approached the tour this year and like managing energy, expectations, and kind of just like what the day-to-day surrounding races was um, and just like your your approach to that aspect of things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was my first ever completed tour, but last year I did four races of the tour Um, and yeah, I mean, my, my mindset going into it this year was, you know, I I really had emphasis on the two sprints as I did last year. Um, and then, but then I, you know, I thought that the, the distance races were, were good opportunities, you know, but I, I, I approached them just like any other world cup, you know, it starts with just two races in a row. So that's, and then there's a day off. So there's, that's just like a standard world cup weekend. Um, yeah, but I think that like my mindset definitely evolved as as the tour went on and you know, that's a lot of stuff I'll take in coming years. I think the uh, places where I can be better. Like for instance, you know, like I said, I sort of just approached the first two races as their own World Cup weekend and then we had a day off and then it was another two kind of like their own World Cup weekend. And then all of a sudden there was another three and it was like, "Oh boy, now, you know, now we're getting out of my comfort zone a little bit." Um, and I definitely like it when you talk about energy management, like I think I did a decent job, but I think I could have done quite a bit better. Um, when it came to energy management, like I was, you know, the days in between the training days, I was sort of taking them like a regular World Cup, where, you know, I would be skiing for only an hour, but the whole operation would probably have taken two hours, you know, which is fine. You're socializing, you're talking, you're walking around, you know, making jokes or whatever. And, and as fun as that is, like I would have been better off if I had skied for an hour and the whole operation had taken an hour 15, you know? So there's, there's little things like that, that I'll, I'll remember because what I will say, like when it came down to it at the final climb, like I, 
the last the the last race and the final climb, I was I was wicked tired. I mean, oh my gosh, uh, it was all I could do to get up that hill. And you know, I also learned that a lot of you know I sort of surprised myself a little bit with how I was sort of hovering in the ranking, uh, and I, then all of a sudden, like, oh, quick reevaluation, like I set a new goal and I wanted to be in the top ten or I wanted you know. And a lot of that came down to the final climb, you know? So, like, you cannot... It's not like the last stage of the Tour de France or whatever where it's sort of you sip champagne and pat yourself on the back. Like, that has, it is subject to change drastically on the last day. And that's a hard, hard race. So, definitely more respect for the for the final climb and, and uh, better energy management will be what I, my big takeaway is. But, yeah, it was, it was a fun experience and I had a great time. Was there... You, you mentioned kind of, like that you were sort of focusing more on those two sprint races initially. Mm -hmm. Um, How does like, when you have a good distance result, like does that shift, how do you kind of process that and like reevaluate your goals and start thinking about like the bigger, your overall standings? Like how, how did that process look? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, what, let me think for a second. So started out with a sprint and then it was a pursuit and the pursuit for me was just sort of okay. But then, yeah, the first race in Oberstdorf, which was the third day, uh, that one was, I think the first race, yeah, that one was like the one where I was sixth, and it was a, uh, that was definitely a, a transition moment, you know, that was where I was like, okay, now I can, or now I, I you know, I'll, I'll put some big goals on the distance races, and, and you know, um, but but what was cool about it was, like it almost took a little bit, it almost felt like it took a little bit of pressure off, you know, because I, I still wanted to be competitive and I still wanted to, to have a good standing. But a lot of that was coming from the sprints for me, you know. Uh, and but then I was like, OK, well, now like I, I actually had a, had a great distance race and a couple good distance races and, and I've been feeling really good. So now I can sort of just, you know, maybe get through this by just being sort of like the average skier, you know. Like, I don't have have to have, like, a crazy good day in the sprint to still be, like, in the mix and, and stuff like that. And, and again, maybe that's me giving myself that, uh, that like, ounce of satisfaction that I, that I mustn't be doing. But still, it, there was definitely an element of that. Um, but, yeah, it totally changed, changed my mindset to where I'm going to try and be competitive, like, as competitive as I can every single day, you know, which – it's so cool. And that's like the magic of the tour, you know, like that's, it's, it's really fun when, you know, my first year, it was totally different. It was like sprint survival mode, survival mode sprint, you know, whereas this year it was sprint, you know, and then you go out and, you know, you could surprise yourself, get in the top 10, top 20. And you're right there with the leaders, the whole race. And it, it was, I had a ton of fun. It was some of the most fun racing I've ever done. And I think a lot of that was because, I actually was able to sort of reevaluate and, and change around my perception of who I am as a World Cup skier and and where where I can be, you know. So, yeah, it kind of answers your question maybe. Yeah. And that was kind of one of my other questions was just like and I, and maybe this is sort of what you're saying is I think you previously maybe were identified more as being a sprinter or sprint focused. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't just in the tour that you've kind of cracked into that, like top 20 in distance races this season. Um, right. and right. It, has that affected kind of how you 
think about like your long and short-term goals in skiing like do you sort of envision like okay maybe I I do have the potential to be more of like an all-arounder um versus trying to hone in on one or the other oh yeah absolutely I mean as long as I've been you know a skier it's been a dream the dream is has been to be competitive on all formats you know every single day like the all-arounder like you say um but, you know, last year in a lot of distance races, I, that felt like nothing more than a dream, you know, like maybe when I'm when I've had a couple more years of, of big training. But, you know, and that's not to say that I like gave up on it or anything like that, but it, it didn't feel like it was right there. And then now, like this year has been so special because, like you say, I've had some some like top 20s and, I, and I've been there in the top 10 or you know, not, not so far back where it feels impossible. And that has been like a complete mindset change from dream to like goal, you know, now it's like my, my goal and I'm, and I'm bound to determine to be like an all around skier, you know, who can compete in a 20 K a 50 K and a sprint, you know, that's, that is something that now I, I like, it will motivate me as opposed to almost like, once upon a time, it was like, oh God, you know, how are you, how are you ever going to get to that level? So that, that change this year has been just so special. And, and I think that again, it comes back, a lot of it comes back to the mental thing, you know, now that it's a goal and it feels attainable in my career or in whatever, uh, to be like someone who is in the mix of the world cup overall or the tour to ski overall, or, you know, someone who races a lot of races at world champs, you know, like the Jesse Diggins, Claybo, th- th- those people, you know, that if you start to believe that you can be that, then, you know, you slowly will be, I think. And, and that's been a lot of fun. So. And sort of similar topic. Um, but the last time that you came on here, you and JC and Gus were kind of talking about just like building confidence and shifting your mindset from like with sprinting specifically, kind of like, I'll pick heat five because maybe I have a slightly easier path forward versus like mm-hmm. I belong in heat one. I belong in heat two with guys like Claybo and Pellegrino and Juve and all the other top sprinters. Um, so how has that aspect progressed for you over the last year? And like, are you thinking about that at all? Like what's going on in your mind when you're, when you are in those heats and you're in those moments where you're like, okay, I need to make a move here and and skiing tactically and thinking about these people who are around you. Like, do you just have to block that out or, or just how do you approach that? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's awesome that that's what we were talking about last time. I remember that now. Um, and yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, it, it's, it, it's been a day to day thing for me. Definitely. I mean, sometimes I like come in and I just, I got the confidence and, and, uh, I don't really look around and I just sort of do me. Um, and other days, you know, I don't, and other days I sort of like, I'm like, who am I to beat these guys, you know? But, uh, like I said, was saying at the beginning this year, definitely, I, I feel like I've been a lot better about, you know, making the selection in the heat, you know, choosing a heat and just like being confident that no matter who else goes in there, I can get through them and I can get, get through to the next, to the next round. And, uh, yeah, it's been a bit more like where, you know, say maybe I'm in a heat with, you know, some like tug ball, you know, that's definitely not how you pronounce his name, but, uh, yeah, you know, if I'm in there with him, like, you know, I can actually think 
of my strengths compared with his strengths and leverage them to my advantage. Whereas, you know, once upon a time I would pretty much only be thinking about his strengths, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, I still obviously still think about the people around me and, and, you know, how, and their success, but it's, it's pretty awesome because now it's starting to feel a bit more like, you know, we've started to have some success and me and JC and, and Luke talk about this all the time in sprinting you know, now all of a sudden, like people are looking at us a little tiny bit and, and they're thinking about what we might do, you know, whereas we were only ever thinking about what they might do. And, uh, you know, that, that definitely has been a, has been a cool transition. And I think it's helped us sort of be a bit, a bit more of a force in our heats and, and a bit more likely to advance. But, uh, of course, like I said, you know, some days, some days you just, uh, pe- people have better tactics and, and all that, of course, but, you know, sometimes it, it, uh, you just sort of go out and ski your own race and it, and it works out pretty well. So <laughs> kind of assuming at this point, the majority of your goals are at the world cup and, and world championship and potentially Olympic level. Um, and one could probably argue that the more time you spend in that environment, like gaining that experience, the better off you'd be. Um, mm-hmm. but you're also just, you just spent a couple weekends, essentially cleaning up at uh, NCAA carnival races in the Northeast. Um, and I think this is kind of your last time that you will be racing carnival races. Um, yeah. Can you talk about just that, that decision to, to take a break from the World Cup, head back to Vermont for a bit, um, following the tour to ski, and just what you're taking away from, from that experience of being back on the carnival scene yeah. for a bit? Yeah. So it's a great question. And, you know, for me, it's – I, you know, I can, I can talk about why I chose to do that this year, but I don't, you know, I I don't necessarily know if it was the perfect decision. Um, I think it, I think it works out good for me, but the reason, you know, it's a long, it's a long push over here in Europe and, and, you know, there's a lot of racing and and a lot of stuff to keep you, keep you motivated, but there's also a lot of other things that come along with it. You know, the stress and the constant moving different hotels and the, you know, the suitcase life. And for me, it's not the, you know, it's not incredibly natural. You know, I think I sometimes start to, I, you know, I, it's really nice for me to have a break. And last year when I went home and raced a couple of carnivals before the Olympics, it was just, or I just, I just went home and trained, but anyhow, I went home before the Olympics and just like got a little break. And then you go over with like renewed energy to, to, to do the whole thing, not just the racing, but also like, you know, to go eat like weird food and, you know, travel all around and get super car sick on, you know, uh, Alps passes. Um, you know, some of that stuff can start to feel like a chore and, and I think that's a real shame. So it's, it's been good for me to just go home, get a little break from it and then come back and, and it all starts to feel really fun again. So, you know, this year, you know, obviously the advanced NCAA racing, you know, that was, that is like, a, you know, I'm still on the UVM ski team and obviously like everybody will say, oh, you know, like what the fuck were you doing? Oh, excuse me. That was bad language. But um, <laughs> they were like, what were you doing? You know, post tour to ski, like who does that for races? But, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I made a commitment to, to that team and, and to the university and everything. And that's not something I intend on going back on. So, you know did the tour to ski and you just go home and race and do it. And, and the key for me was just to, to see the best in it. You know, I think 
there are some people who would have done something like that and they would just be thinking about how bad it was for their recovery and training or whatever. But for me, I just sort of tried to focus on like how awesome it was just to be back with all my friends in college and see Patrick, uh, the coach at UVM and, and, and everybody. And I don't know, just be back a part of New England, New England racing, which is like New England racing is what it's all about. You know, like it's fun to be competitive on the world cup, but you know, it's all about just like getting people out there and getting people stoked about things. So when I was there, I had no thought of what I wasn't looking over my shoulder on the world cup. I was just like enjoying it, soaking it up. And then, you know, now that I'm back, it's like, it's the same. It's exactly what I was saying, where I feel, you know, I feel psyched to, you know, do this chunk for the world champs pre-camp. I'm motivated and, and world champs and, and all the nervousness before the races, like it's something that I'm excited for as opposed to like, oh man, like, am I going to do this again? You know? So I don't know what it'll look like for me in future years with the going home thing. Cause I'm obviously done in college, so I won't have that pulling me home as well. But I think that there's something to be said for just like, you know, getting that break in some capacity. So that, that was kind of my, my thoughts on that whole trip. <laughs> and are you, you're working through a master's right now. Is that right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. is that, did you have an extra year of eligibility? Like, was that a COVID thing or did you redshirt a year? How did that work just from like an eligibility perspective to keep racing? Yeah, I, I had a year, like a redshirt year, uh, during COVID where I didn't race. That was like when NCAAs were in Jackson, New Hampshire. Um, and I didn't race at all in college that year just because, you know, that was a year where opportunities were not to be to be passed up on because they were few and far between so I got the opportunity to race in Oberstdorf world champs and I just was like hey NCAAs could get canceled at any millisecond so we'll just do this stay here and do this and and that was great so anyhow I missed that one year so then I yeah I got another year of eligibility because of that and uh you know the the master's thing became uh an option last year in my senior year and, you know, you're running the numbers on that and it's just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> be a fool not to try. So uh, I'm happy that I went for a fifth year and, and, and working on the Masters. It's, it's, been, it's been good. And will that be a one year? Will you still be able to finish within one year or is that going to get stretched out a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> great question. Right on, right on the hot, hot button hopefully topics. Not a, not, a, not, a, uh, not a sore subject, hopefully. No, 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 not sore. But uh, it was supposed to be a one year. You know, I, I took a couple classes in my senior year um, to a, like double counted some things so that I could do this like one year master's and it was going to be so perfect. But, you know, push came to shove and now all of a sudden, you know, I want to be in World Cup or in Europe for World Cup finals. And, you know, I uh, I had to back off on on that ambitious. So it, I won't graduate in May, but, you know, I'll have a significant chunk of it done. And, you know, when I do finish it up, I'll, I think I'll still be happy, obviously, that I took this year and, and got a bunch of it done. But yeah, it's not going to be like the perfect storm like I had envisioned it, which is fine. I'm not torn up about it, but <laughs> sort of funny. You know, I gotta, you got to re. It's just like the tour to ski. When I reevaluated my goals for the better in my master's pursuits, I had to reevaluate my goals for the worse. So, <laughs> um, Following those carnival races, you wrote on Instagram that just thanks to every single person who make makes this circuit so special, may college skiing never change. Can you <laughs> say more about what you meant by that? Yeah, I can. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. It, was, it ended up being a little bit more like of an emotional experience than I had expected because, you know, people, when you go and like I was just saying with New England racing, you know, you go, you go there and, and people really are rooting for you, you know, and, or f- for me. And, and I, I don't know, it was just, it was just such a, such a cool thing. And, and you sort of go to like a carnival race or an Eastern cup, you know, which I went to both and you, it reminds you like of the true like passion of skiing, you know, like the world cup, is awesome and it's you know it's cool but it's like so professional and so streamlined and so like serious it's just like you you lose out on like the spirit of it a little bit you know and and when I went back I was like thinking about like all my years racing on the carnival scene and all the great people that I've met and like the you know the jokes before and after during the race and just like, ah, it's just, it, it's just so motivating and, it, and it's just such an unbelievably special, uh, circuit and, and I don't know, just the whole thing. And, and, you know, I, like there's all the food and all the parents and everybody goes out after the race, like the, the girls race first, they're all out on course cheering for the guys. If the guys race first, they're all out on course cheering for the girls and nobody's all up in arms about like getting back and putting their legs up or, you know, eating the right post-race snack, you know, you just, you just sort of just go out there and do it. And sometimes the skis are bad and sometimes they're good. And it's just, no, nobody's like freaking out over anything. And it it just, it was just such an awesome experience. And And I realized on the start line or of the last, the 20K there or whatever it was, 15K, I was like, this is my last ever carnival, you know, like this, it's completely redefined who I was as an athlete skiing in college and uh you know I never that was my last my last one and you know it was just so special and I yeah I don't know that that Instagram post I'm glad uh you noticed it because that, that was sort of the the point I was trying to convey you know it's it's such a special such a cool scene and, and I you know for me obviously I've obviously had a lot of success there but I really I really think for everybody you know right down to the people who you know are at the back of the pack. I think that they still feel that energy and they, and they're still motivated by, by that, that circuit. So I hope that, you know, hundreds more people can come through and, and have the same experience that I had because it was, it was awesome. <laughs> um, I also want to ask about the balance of your goals kind of at the international level and just sustain, sustainability in your career, which maybe kind of relates to what you're just talking about. Um, but uh, your older sister, Catherine, who also raced on the World Cup and um, had a very successful junior career, she was, she's been really open about kind of the challenges that she experienced in terms of managing pressure and expectations and um, just the atmosphere of kind of professional racing and um, how that sort of manifested as expectations she felt self-imposed or otherwise to kind of like live up to results as a junior and those sorts of things and um and I'm not looking for you to speak for her here but um just and and recognizing that you know you guys are not the same person you might be wired totally differently but I'm wondering what you took away from um just the experience of watching Catherine kind of go through some of those challenges and just her experience navigating this transition towards professional ski racing um and how you're kind of integrating some of that maybe into your own approach yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question, and you know, for all of my ski career, 
you know, Catherine has like forged the path, uh, ahead of me. Like, you know, she went to world juniors before I did. She was on the world cup before I did. She won NCAAs before I did. She, you know, and, uh, I've been so lucky through all those to ha- to have her take on it and to, ha- to ha- see her do it and, uh, and learn, learn from her and the transition to call or to professional skiing and world cup life. And just sort of like, you know, being a person who, you know, goes out in the world and tells everyone that they're a professional skier, like, you know, what that looks like is something that, yeah, is, is no different than anything else. She went through it and I had the leisure of like, you know, kicking back in college and whatever, uh, and, and watching her do that. And, um, definitely like 100% her experience, it continues to shape the way I approach it. And, uh, you know, I, I try my hardest to be like, you know, she definitely had like, she had some, some issues, some struggles for sure in, in last year and the year before. And I think that, you know, obviously we're not the exact same person, but we do think very similarly and, and we respond well, we respond well under very similar circumstances. Um, so yeah, definitely like the way I'm going to try and set up my life as a professional athlete is going to be very reflective of what I learned from, from her, uh, how she set up her life as a professional athlete. Um, you know, you, you commented on the sustainability thing and I don't know exactly know what you meant by that, but it, to, in my ears, sustainability means like how you can be an athlete year in and year out through success, through failure and how you can continue to feel good about what you do and, you know, be confident that like in time you will, you know, achieve, achieve your goals. And that's something that I've been thinking about like constantly. And, uh, we talk about it a lot over here with the younger guys, um, because we're all sort of facing, faced with that. And, and again, the beauty of college among just so many other things is that you can do it. You can, you can pursue your goals as an athlete, but you always have this other thing you know, you're always in school and you're always making yourself a better person in that regard, you know? And if you, if you fall on your face in the athletics, then you always can fall back on like, you know, your schoolwork and, you know, you can be confident in who you are as a, as a student. And I think that like a lot, a big issue with professional cross country skiers is that there's this sort of like expectation that you have to be a certain way and do a certain thing, like do certain things that are like, quote unquote, good for training, like, you know, rest in the middle of the day, like, you know, sit in your bed all day long when you're not training and and stuff like that. And I think that that's all very true. But I think you must, you must be very careful to not, to not, or to, you must be very careful to have other things in, in life that, that like make you feel good about who you are in addition to, to the skiing, because sometimes the skiing isn't going to make you feel very good about who you are. You know, it's going to make you feel like shit about who you are. And then, you know, in those moments, you're going to want to have something else to, to like to motivate you and, and to make you excited. So, you know, my, my thought is like, you know, look at Paul Goldberg. You know, he's he's in the best shape of his life and I actually don't know how old he is. But based on his baldness and his toddlers running around, he's probably like 30 or whatever. You know, he's old. He's older than me, you know, and like that could be me. That could be any of us that and you know if we really want to see what we can do in this sport you got to give it time 
So I'm going to try my absolute hardest to, you know, be a person who has, who has other things going on and, and not things that are like taking away from skiing, but like other aspects of my personality that make me, um, make me comfortable with who I am. Because I think that it's a, a challenge that Catherine ran into was that when, for her, when it came time to go all in on skiing and, and no more college, you know, no, no, no more of that stuff, it was like, okay, you know, she, she, she didn't have enough else that, that like made her, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like a broken record. I've said the same thing like 10 times, but I think that that was a challenge of hers. And then when, you know, when she was struggling with skiing, it, it sort of just like all compounded. And, uh, and I think that, you know, she's obviously super happy now, not skiing and, and just being a regular person. But, you know, I think that she obviously is like, you know, she's, she's just a superhuman athlete and, you know, who knows what she could have done if she had been willing to give it another five, six, seven years. And that's not to say that she should have, obviously she should, you should always do what makes you happy. But, uh, my goal is to, to figure out how to, I don't know, be happy and, and train and be a skier because, you know, there, there is aspects of it that are really awesome and rewarding. So hopefully that answers your question. I don't know. I <laughs> kind of lost myself in that a little bit, but yeah. So you've got your master's, you're, or you're working through your master's. That's maybe one way that you're balancing, like, something that's yeah. not skiing, right? Um, Absolutely. Are there other ways that you are, like, are there other things that you're trying to make 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 time for or make a point to include in kind of your day-to-day that also feed that kind of, like, counterbalance? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, the master's is definitely something, and, and just school in general for the last few years has been been huge for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's other things too. Like in the summertime, I make a concerted effort to like develop other skills. Um, I try to at least, and that, that makes me feel, you know, I I really enjoy doing that. Um, so let's see now, two summers ago, I had some money and I bought a welder. So I learned how to weld and I did a lot of that last summer, which was fun. And like, you know, I tinker with my cars a lot. Um, do a lot of stuff with that. Uh, so, you know, those are the things. And I don't know, again, like, I don't really know what it's going to look like for me post school, you know, cause the school will come to a close or largely come to a close, uh, in May. And then it'll be time to sort of like, you know, figure out how to, you know, and I, in, in high school and in college for many years, I like worked construction in the summers, but you know, I can't do that or probably shouldn't do that because, not ideal for rest you know it'd be out in the sun for five hours in the middle of your training day but I think that there are other things that I'll do to to like sort of scratch that itch like maybe or well not maybe um I recently bought an old a series three Land Rover and I'm going to uh restore that in my free time so I got like a couple uh shop manuals over here in Europe and I've been reading those and uh you know like looking on eBay for parts and stuff so I don't know, you know, who knows, that might be like more of a hobby and it might not be enough to like, to make me, yeah, I don't know, but my goal is to find something along those lines, you know, be it, I don't know, whatever, some kind of project or or something, maybe like a house someday um, where I can, you know, I can be, I can be training and I can be an athlete and I can be in Europe all the time and doing all that stuff, but I can also like be really stoked about something else. And if I have a go to Europe and have a 
horrible season and I'm, you know, just feeling terrible, I go home and I'll be super pumped to like, you know, build a new roof on my house or I don't know, uh, get, get my Land Rover running or, you know, something like that. Just because, I don't know, I think that it just can't be, it can't be slept on the importance of, of like having things like that. So yeah. Some ideas, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Check yeah. back in a few years. <laughs> um, I have some shorter questions, I guess, that kind of start wrapping things up here. Um, are there any shout-outs that you want to give in terms of just people who have been helpful to you this season um, and just kind of making, making things happen? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely a couple. Let's see. Number one is Eli Brown. He is a wax tech here on the world cup who has been here for a while. Um, but he was never my wax deck. I didn't really work with him. And this year I have been working with him and it's been so awesome. And he's just like worked insanely hard to, uh, figure out all the complicated bits with my skis. And we've been working, you know, on getting everything labeled and cleaned up and organized. So, I mean, huge shout out to him. I mean, Oh my goodness, he's been awesome. And, uh, yeah, big shout out to the, all, all the guys at Mad Seuss too. There's a, a handful of like Massachusetts employees who come to the World Cup and they have been awesome helping me test and making recommendations and working with Eli to f- sort of figure out what skis are going to be good on a certain day. So they've been great. Um, yeah, I guess let's see who else. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, uh, you know, my parents, they, uh, they've been really supportive and, and they help a lot with the, my mom helps a lot with the, like, you know, the, the balance stuff that we, that we've been talking about, like, you know, how to, she's really careful to, uh, to make sure that there's not, I'm not like, you know, putting too much pressure on and, and, you know, I don't know, they're good about supporting and then in a really like positive way, you know, you can get support and it can be a little bit like intense, I think sometimes. And, and that's not like that with my parents, you know, like they watch the races and, you know, if, if they think I did great, then they'll text me and say, you did great. And if they don't think I did so good, then they'll text me and say, you did great. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, no, they're not, they're never wondering why I'm doing badly. And they're, you know, they're never, they're never pressuring. So I, I appreciate them for that, which is funny because my mom always jokes that she just like, doesn't do anything, you know, which is just like the best possible thing, you know, I don't know. <laughs> They don't make a huge deal out of it, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, any specific goals for the remainder of the season that you want to share? Mm, yes. Um, well, let's see. Definitely a top five in team sprint is a big goal for me, or for Team USA, hopefully involving me. Um, so that's one. For sure, and then also I really want to make I got I really want to make a World Cup final before the season's over. I've been super I've been seventh now like way too many times, and uh, I really really want to get in the final. So, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. I don't want to make like a mental block, but I you know that's a big goal of mine. So, um, there's a Ben Ogden style Instagram page. And uh, <laughs> which there maybe makes that. sense. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's some photos that come to mind. Like NCAA's last year, you had kind of like a Hawaiian shirt and a, a chainsaw yeah. at one point. Um, I 
And uh, like the smiley face shirt for your, I think that was your Olympic photo last yeah. year. <laughs> um, so first off, I think I saw there saw somewhere that there was like a no chainsaw rule in Leiru. Yeah. And um, I'm wondering if you felt like this was like a, a targeted uh, rule <laughs> for you, or if you asked any kind of like clarification around that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the the chainsaw issue in in uh, uh, France goes back to long before me, you know, I got that idea from, uh, well, I mean, you know, I wasn't, that wasn't even my chainsaw. That was my buddy Scott Mooney's chainsaw, but you know, that the French are known far and wide for their chainsaw cheering. And there was a no chainsaw rule in LaRue, but there was also a chainsaw out on course, like distinct chainsaw. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> maybe, but that was, uh, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> um, is the camo US ski team hat, is that team issue or is that a patch? Oh yeah, that's uh that's team issue. Skeeta. Skeeta, Vermont company, baby. That's uh that's our new our new uh hat sponsor. So, you know, they make a camo and I was like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that um, thing was pretty sweet. Yeah. Is there a gaper gap in Nordic skiing? This is a question I got recently, I didn't know how to answer, so I figured I would field it. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, de- pretty much debating that there isn't a distinct one. You know, you get a lot of people who can like figure out how to like show some forehead. Um, and I always thought it looked silly. I, I was always like, you keep the hat tight, you keep the hat right on top and no cap between the goggles and the thing and the hat. But now I'm like, well, you know, maybe there there can be. And I was like checking myself out with my new Skeeta in the mirror with some sunglasses and like a little a tasteful gap I think is totally in play you know like I think obviously like you can take it too far we don't need any hair coming out the front we can all agree on that but I think that a tasteful gap is definitely not out of the uh out of the cards and you asked me this a year ago and I would have said absolutely not you keep it you keep it tight but you know I guess these things (laughs) these things change (laughs) um any other like faux pas that you think people should be more conscious of? Any other what? Any faux pas, like any, uh, any, just like, I guess like a gaper gap for alpine skiing would be a faux pas, like a like ah, a bad yes. move, yeah, like, bad look, like no nos. Um, yeah. There, there definitely are. One for sure is if you got the Swix pants with the zipper on the side. You want the zipper to be like all the way zippered up, you know, even if it ends up with the, the sides being a little scrunched, you don't want to be rocking the like bell bottom action, which I used to rock. Don't get me wrong when I was in middle school, but you don't want to do that. You want to, you want to keep that thing zipped up, keep it tight. No snow going in there. I think everyone can agree on that for sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think if, if you're going to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's one. Make sure you're, uh your race suit is tight where it's supposed to be tight and, uh, and not too, too loose. But, uh, you know, again, like it's, it's an artist game. Like people rock, people rock loose race suits, bell bottom, swix pants and goggle gaps. And they're just happy to do it. And, you know, who might, who might, who might say no. <laughs> um, you get labeled kind of as just embodying just this like classic Vermonter vibe. So what is kind of the most and least Vermont thing that you do? The most and least Vermont thing that I do. Um, 
Like on the World Cup or just in, just in, in general, general life? Yeah. Oof. Either or. Um, I guess the most... Well, I guess we can start with the least Vermont thing that I do is probably like how concerned I am with, you know, my, my, uh, shades and how good they look all the time. You know, like, I feel like the, I feel like, you know, like when I sift through my dad's collection of glasses or like anyone like that, all the true Vermonters out there, like they are just fat, they are function over fashion, you know, they just, they just rock whatever works, whatever's cheap and shades their eyes from the sun. But like, you know, for me, I like I like a nice set of Oakleys, and even if they're the type of Oakleys that sort of like fall off your face and fog up, like if they look good, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear them. Um, and the most Vermont thing that I do, oh well, maybe it's it could be my routine like Vermont maple sriracha on the World Cup. You know, uh, could be could be that, could be. The fact that I'm like much better at classic skiing than I am at skate skiing, that's kind of like a Vermonter thing, I think. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. Something Gracie, like that. Do you, have, do you have a maple syrup hat on right now? I do. I do. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> naturally. Yeah. I got, Vermont, I got Sugar Bob smoked maple syrup on my head, as always. <laughs> Sugar Bob is my, uh, my uncle. He's about okay. as Vermont as they come. He lives, he lives in... Uh, on the Londonderry Langrove border, southern Vermont, he uh, you know owns a owns a sugaring business. So he's uh, you know, <laughs> I guess anything I do that's like like what Sugar Bob is probably the most Vermont thing about me. <laughs> um, anything I didn't ask? Ah, uh, you know, sometimes when I do these like talk talk with people about stuff like, about myself and stuff like this, I just like feel like I just say a bunch of stuff and I don't really remember what I said. So I'm not entirely sure, but I think we covered the bases pretty well. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a real pleasure talking with you. And I hope, I hope people are interested in the things I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck yeah. this weekend. Absolutely. Thank you.